Welcome to The Complete Musician, creativity at its core, exploring innovative musical ideas, thoughts, and techniques for the modern musician in today's society, with your hosts, James Nagus and Drew Phillips. Hey everyone, and welcome to another special episode of The Complete Musician Podcast. I'm Drew. I'm James. And we're in the same place. For the first time ever. <laughs> Recording this podcast. So this will actually not be a Skype conversation like normally happens. Nope. And this is also a special episode um, because we will resume with the numbered episodes later. But this is a follow-up to our concert and pre-concert talk special podcast. Yesterday. Yeah. Um Yesterday, we we had so many viewers and so many people who were awesome enough to tune into our pre-concert live stream event. Can't thank you guys enough. And this is almost like an apology episode in which uh, during the Facebook live stream, we there were people who asked questions and gave us comments that we never saw until the podcast ended. And that really stinks. And so this episode is going to be answering those questions. Right, and we just have a couple of questions here that we didn't get a chance to answer, and yeah, just technical glitches. We were just doing Facebook Live for the first time, we are doing the YouTube streaming for the first time, and we're still figuring it out. But we're just going to blame YouTube Live and say that we did everything perfectly, and uh, it was just its fault. Boo! So, without further ado, let's just get into the questions that we didn't get to answer. And the first one here is from the Agrell Rhodes household, and that is, how do you choose who plays horn and who plays piano? So if you're just listening to us for the first time, uh, what's unique about us is that we both play horn and piano, and when we write music, uh, we switch off in our performances uh, with each other. Uh, for example, if I write a piece for horn and piano, then James will play the horn part, I will play the piano, and then vice versa when he writes. Um, so I guess Sherry's question is, how do we decide, um, like on which pieces do we play? Um, so I, I think it, well, it's really just, you know, I, because we know that we play the piano parts, like you said, for our own pieces, because I think we know those better. And I think that's really the main question is that that's figured out because, um, we only play piano on our own pieces because I can't play your piano parts. I can't play his either. So that makes the, pro the process really easy uh, in deciding. <laughs> Although we've tried switching for hilarity. I mean, the blooper reel is endless with us just having some free time and goofing off by switching piano and horn parts. Right. Although music is not fun and should never be fun. No, music um, is stuffy and classical, according to Jeff Agrell. Just kidding. Yes. That's not at all what he thinks, and you should all go buy his books. Yes. Okay, next question. Why don't from, you go ahead and read that? Oh, okay. This is from Nick. And Nick asked, he, he asked two questions, and we're going to kind of combine them into one. Um, he said, uh, could we talk about the process of commissioning a work? And uh, in addition to that, uh, when we commission, how do we like to communicate and work with those people who ask us to write for them? And do we prefer to be given a lot of freedom in that process? So those two questions kind of approach the same thing from two angles. On one hand, you have, if you are actively seeking a composer to write a work, the other angle is someone is asking you to write a work for them. So part one, um, the process of commissioning a work. Well, I think the first step is finding a person, a composer that whose music you like, that you want to write for you. 
Yep. And, you know, that just involves listening and finding music. And if they're still alive and you can afford them, just going for it. Uh, as the, the next major part there would just be finding funding for something like that. Because the reality is that a lot of um, music is not cheap for commissioning. Purchasing mm. sheet music is affordable, but the initial commissioning can be a little expensive for uh, more established composers. So finding grant opportunities or consortiums or saving money, um, <laughs> those are all options. And uh, on the other side of that, though, one thing that's great is a lot of younger composers or student composers uh they're just would love to have music played of theirs and they love opportunities to write now i'm not saying to take advantage of them in any way shape or form but asking your friends if you're in a university type situation can be a great start to that because oftentimes well you don't have the budget they don't have the uh requirements you know for commissioning funds so that can be an initial step um do you have anything to add to that do you want to jump to the next Oh yeah, I um to add to that, like I have um some students now that are interested in writing, and I think that especially during the university years is uh is really great opportunities to uh, to those uh, composers to build your portfolio and just have so much output. Um, we've said before so many times that when you're writing for the first time or when you're when you're kind of build street cred as a composer, you're going to have a lot of output. Some of it's going to be, especially when you start things, some of it's going to be garbage, but then every <laughs> once in a while you're going to get something really great. And so your goal is to get lots of great things out and sift through all of the trial and error pieces uh, that you start and, and finish. Um, but yeah, like like you were saying, it's uh, in the university you just want people to play your stuff and, and composers want their pieces played yeah so it's and so great. it's mutually beneficial you just work with each other and, and go up to your friends and say hey can i write you something to play and and hopefully if they're a good friend they'll be like sure and i'll just play it on my next recital or studio class or something like that or just to workshop it with you and uh hopefully maybe even i encourage my kids to uh, maybe even on their own instrument, make a demo recording that, again, builds the portfolio and make sure that it's a great representation of your own um, your own work. Because, as you were saying, when you're looking for composers uh, to do commissions, you want to make sure that you like their stuff. And the best thing to right. do is to listen to what they do. And the best way to have to know what they do is to listen to good stuff. So, anyway. Um, and that actually kind of segues into the next point Part because Perfect. one thing when you commissioning a work, um, an initial correspondence, first of all, would probably be introducing yourself if you didn't know the person. Um, maybe some reasons why, like I really like X piece. I'm looking to commission a work. Um, here's my timeline. This is when I'd want the piece by. What are your rates? Asking that. Or you can mm-hmm. say, this is my budget. Um, can can we you know, come to a mutual agreement or something like that? Usually the budget stuff comes a little bit later. The initial contact would just be, I'm interested in commissioning a work. I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but one thing to be mindful of is that if you commission a work from someone, really you shouldn't be too dictating in terms of what you get. You, know, you can have guidelines like, I want a piece for, you can specify instrumentation. I think definitely. that's definitely okay. But in terms of content, 
I would tend to trust the composer and let them do their thing. You're, you're commissioning That's, them because you like what they do. Right. It's like you ask them for a reason, so you should kind of let them go and do their thing because they'll turn out something that you probably like since you like their other stuff. And from a composer perspective... I know that I appreciate when someone says, you just do your thing. Because for me, number one, that's more natural and yeah. easier. <laughs> yeah. And uh, rather than saying, oh, you know, I, I would like a piece for Horn and Kazoo in 9-7 <laughs> time that talks about the struggle of the Arctic penguins in 1723. You know, something totally bizarre like that. That would be a really hard piece to write. Uh... Would be, I would not accept that commission <laughs> and that and that's it's uh just to make a clarification that's not paradoxical to what we've said about writing uh we've said before that writing with limitations is a great way to um to start music but those limitations are things that we as composers impose on ourselves and we don't really want other people to do that on us so again yeah the the things that i like being told when i'm commissioning is instrumentation an approximate length yes and whether or not multiple movements can be included or whether it should be kind of a straight through thing um is really what i i like to be told and not too much else because i have the freedom now to come up with something really original and cool from that well the other important thing is timeline oh yeah and yeah. like when, when is this due when do you need the piece and then you can get into specific things like, is this for a particular workshop? Do you mm. need... The whole concept of performance rights is becoming slightly archaic, I think, where typically, you know, if someone commissions a piece, now you have a year to perform this piece exclusively. I, I don't know, maybe it's not. Maybe in certain commissions, especially the higher profile ones, like consortiums, that is more acceptable. But in smaller time, you know, you'll have the first performance, obviously. If you commission a piece, you get to, you know start the thing hmm. but then um where it goes from there is usually just where it goes from there hmm. uh, but having a real defined from a composer perspective timeline due date at least for me personally helps me organize my time and even just be able to say whether i can do the commission or not because sometimes you just don't have time to do it especially if you've got a lot of projects stacking up at once there's that limit of how many you have and how uh, how long it's going to take like if uh, if I were to get a commission for you know uh, a, a big old concert band piece that's well, due sometime in the spring because you just almost did I mean we, we're both working on active pieces right now we're yeah. considering commissions yeah so. I, I, several commissions um, we're considering and uh, there's one that's coming uh, that may be coming in the spring um, if all the details get hammered out um, for a big solo horn and, and concert band piece. And that's going to take a while. Um, so I, at that point, especially with all the other things going on in our lives, and, you know, as someone who wants to commission something, respecting the composer and not being irritated if they're like, I just can't do it because, especially like us, we have these university jobs that we're kind of taken up with a lot of different things and have our hands in a lot of pots. So, um, yeah, like, like you said, timeline and respecting their time and and you know, being okay with telling them I need it in, in in this time frame and being proactive enough to ask in enough time. Not like, I need it in a month. Oh, uh, right. well, here uh, here's an unaccompanied solo that lasts <laughs> for a minute. Okay, sorry. I mean, we, we can both write pretty fast, but you don't want to have to write that fast. No. 
So um, having at several months at a minimum is good. Some people take oh, yeah. a year, you know, and that's just their are their process. Is yeah. everyone's different. Um, the other, the last thing I'll say on commissioning is the uncomfortable aspect of the money one. Just to throw a couple extra things on there, uh, because like I was saying earlier, commissioning can be expensive, especially if you're a student and you want to commission a work. I mean. A kind of just very, very general bar ballpark figure for even something like a solo instrument plus, plus piano can be anywhere from $100 per minute of music and up. Now, obviously, you'll have people that'll do it for less. You'll have people that'll do it for more. Mm -hmm. And um, it can get... It shouldn't be uncomfortable to talk about money, but it is. I personally hate talking about money. Oh, me <laughs> you too. Know? Um, yeah. But you have to think, you also have to value your time and your work, just like anyone who does any kind of craft has to value your experience and your time. And, you know, it's it's what we do. Mm. We Obviously, we compose because we love it, but there's a certain degree of we compose also because it's part of being a job as a musician. Yep. So I think, feel free to speak candidly. I don't think anyone enjoys talking about money, so you're not the only one. But the best way to approach it is first to ask a composer, what are your fees? And then to, um, the, the composer then might respond, well, what's your budget? And then you can go from there. Yeah, and hammer out those details. But being straightforward and upfront is better than waiting until the last minute and feeling uncomfortable with it. There are institutions like ASCAP that have commissioning guidelines and they have numbers that are industry standards that are I guess standards, but they seem high. Everyone will have their own different scale. I mean, feel free to just contact other composers that you know and say, "If hey, are you comfortable with telling me what I should expect to pay for something like this? Or if you're a composer, what I should ask for something like this, yeah. et cetera. Um, that's all I have on commissioning. Do you have anything else? Nah, we've talked okay. about it a bit. Uh, let's go to our last question. Uh, our, our last question from Alicia, and she says, this is our fun one, mm. uh, if you were not Hornus, what other instrument or career path could you see yourselves doing? Oh, man. I already have a good answer for this one. Okay, you want to save your answer? You want to go second or first? No, well, I have, I, I think I have two answers, because I have definitely a... Um, a serious answer? As, well, no, no, I have like a music answer, and then oh, okay. I have like a non-music answer of what oh, I would not do. Yeah. Um, obviously, we got into music because we couldn't figure out anything else that we'd want to do with our <laughs> lives that like made us happy, and I think there's definitely an element of you need to be happy when you do your job, um, even, right. you know. Uh, so what would you do? So if I, okay, so for music, like if I didn't pick horn okay so this has been like a super lifelong dream of mine and if you know me you know that i really really enjoy playing both uh in a pit so like in opera and in musical theater pits mm -hmm. and i played so many shows um i, I love playing in pit orchestra so because... you can play bassoon in a pit orchestra is that where this is going i would uh, no uh actually the complete opposite and i've said this several times to people if i could sing like really well I would never play the horn again, oh, like okay. ever, because I just love, I love, I'm so jealous of singers that they can just create music anywhere they want to. And just like, oh, if I could just like do, if I was good enough to do like musical theater, it would be like, man, it'd be so cool just to be on stage and have all of it come together and sing over an orchestra and like, 
oh, that'd be so cool. But I can't sing, and I suck, and that's not fair. So a vocalist, ugh, that's not fair. I'm just jealous that vocalist's instrument doesn't count as a carry-on item when they fly. Uh, <laughs> we should check them into the... <laughs> check Could you please and... check your voice, um, like, aerial style? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or we should just shove them into the overhead compartment. <laughs> um... So that's yeah. that's what I would do musically. I would sing if I didn't have horn, um, because oh, it's just not fair. Yeah. Well, musically, and, I would probably actually do something in composition, um, specifically movie uh, film scoring mm-hmm. or commercial composition. And I mean, I guess I do that already. So I don't know if that's a fair answer. But, but the question was, if you were not hornists. Yeah. So if I have to pick something completely non-related. I would actually, I think something in, well, besides tech, like sound design and mixing and um, producing, I think that would be fun. Or something in the medical realm, like music therapy. I think that's really interesting and kind of like an emerging field. I mean, it is established, but there's new advancements with within the field. Um, so it's very kinetic. What Okay, what would you do if it had to not concern music at all? If it wasn't music at all? At all. Because hmm. I have an answer for that too. I would design golf head club covers. Uh-huh. No, um, <laughs> to go with your great golf game. <laughs> yes. Well, you are a decent golfer. Uh, no, I'm. No, we've played golf. You anyone, know. anyone who has gotten a hole in one is a decent golfer. In my, it was luck. It, okay, it was luck. Sure. Um, no, I think at least initially when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to cook. Ooh. And because I love eating food, um, and I figured, you know, why not just learn how to make it gooder? So, gooder, yeah. <laughs> you want to be the the great chef like the uh, great Sherry Rhodes? Oh, uh, yeah. Nothing. I, I couldn't top that. Oh man. But um, then I found out more about the lifestyle and the stresses of working in a kitchen, and I'm like, yeah, no. Um, and I didn't want to just use a microwave for the rest of my life, so I didn't want to work <laughs> at an Applebee's or an Olive Garden. So I, uh, that that's not going to work out. Um, um, but yeah, I think something in culinary cool. arts or, you know, molecular gastronomy would be fun. Okay. Well, apart from that last word, which I don't know what it means, um, <laughs> that, uh, that sounds really cool. What would you do? I didn't know that about you. Um, uh, if I were not going to be in music at all, um, I would want to, there are two things I'd like to do. Um, one is I would like to write more because I really enjoy writing. I'm kind of a grammar freak and I know that not all writing is like academic, but I would really like to explore writing kind of, maybe not, I don't know about fiction, but just like, what's that brand of like writing opinion books on stuff? Like... I, you you want to write your own chicken soup? Kind of like I it's just like I I don't know that would be really fun to me is just like writing like my own observances in the world and kind of thing. I think that that would be really fun because I feel like I have a pretty witty style of writing when I do and I write my own kind of stuff. So that would be something to explore. And the other thing is actually what I was going to pursue instead of music until I made this decision, which I really wanted to go into chemistry. And mm. I really wanted to actually um, pursue... Just like Jeff. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I really wanted to pursue pharmacy, actually, um, oh. because I loved chemistry in high school, and I loved that uh, science, like the balancing equations and like using the mole and all that kind of stuff. Wearing a white coat. Uh, actually, I get to be a doctor here too. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. Just think how much um, more cars and houses and um, student debt you'd have. Uh, <laughs> how much more money I would make. Um, I that's true, but uh, of course it's not for money, but. Uh, I mean, that would be pretty sweet well, and comfy, but it's I... It's not for money. Uh, no. It's for a lot of money. No. <laughs> and I uh, I would love to... I wanted to do that, but then I... Eh, I didn't really want to go spend, like, a really long time in school. Oh, wait, I did. Uh, but mm-hmm. I... I, I just, music was so much more... I really decided... It was... It, the, the turning point was when I realized that if I did an undergrad in, like, chemistry or something... That uh, I wouldn't be able to play the horn every day or like play music every day, and that was like an absolute deal breaker. So, right. Well, you can rest assured that in a parallel universe, you're doing that somewhere. I'm way richer than I am now, man. So, I mean, oh wait, excuse me. I have money in that parallel universe as opposed to none. Oh well, you're, <laughs> you are rich in musical knowledge. Isn't Aww. that worth it? I am rich in <laughs> what is it? I am. Poor in money, but rich in spirits. <laughs> there you go. So I think that's just going to about do it for our questions. It's a good thing we didn't answer these live on stream because that would have added 20 minutes to our already long uh, pre-concert talk. But um, hopefully this got a chance to answer your questions. And again, thanks for those that did join us and did ask questions. And apologies for these questions that we didn't answer on stream. Um. But... Yeah, and uh, and thanks to everyone who watched. And please, if you have questions, comments, or anything, um, you can always uh, you can always email us at our email of coromotohorn at gmail.com. Comment on our, our on our YouTube videos. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, like our Facebook page, Coromoto Horn Duo. You know how to get in touch with us. And shamelessly share all of that with all of your friends. Exactly. Please spread it like the plague. So I think that's going to do it for this, uh, again, quick, not quick episode special. Uh, We will most likely return to our normally scheduled podcast after this, even though that's what we said last time. So who knows? We might have seven more specials before then. (laughs) But thanks for joining us, and um, see ya. Thanks a lot. Bye. (laughs)